I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of Everyone is Hot, the podcast that talks about your favorite stealth sex symbols and their film that turned you on to them. I'm Michael Stevens. And I'm Shelley Brooks. And Michael, we have got a very exciting return guest today, do we not? Oh my God. Look, y'all, much like Barry Convex at the end of Videodrome, <laughs> we are bursting with tumors filled with enthusiasm for today's guest <laughs> film producer and vice president of fucking production Ooh. at Faye pictures lindsey blair goldner y'all oh my the God. children are back They're the children. <laughs> they've been waiting for oh. you <laughs> Oh Welcome my God, back, Lindsay, we're so our glad brood. to have you. Yes, our <laughs> yeah, brood. our brood. Oh, thank you so much for asking me to come back. It is truly an honor and a privilege. Uh, well, we had to get our resident uh, Canada and Cronenberg <laughs> expert for today's episode. Yeah. Lindsay, what are we going to be talking about? Today, we're going to be talking about the unofficial trilogy of David Cronenberg, specifically. So he's had a couple kind of repeat films. People try to mash them together, but this one is the most consistent. Yes. We're going to be talking about Videodrome, Existence, and Crimes of the Future, and what Cronenberg sees as the future of sex through his these three films. I absolutely <laughs> love this approach. Yes. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I actually do know about y'all. Um, y'all are very familiar with the works 
of David Cronenberg. Um, I am familiar with Crash, Maps to the Stars, and uh, History of Violence. So uh, yeah. I watched I'm some shit. I'm definitely less so than Lindsay. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we have a variety of different levels, um, and I'm excited about that. A little something for everyone listening. Yes. Um, so uh, I'm very curious uh, about y'all's uh, relationships with these movies and specifically your viewing experience this week uh, <laughs> and how your week was generally. Um, <laughs> so, oh yeah. yeah. Lindsay, how about you go first? So did you sure. rewatch just before this? Yes. So I rewatched the films. I've seen every Cronenberg film. Uh, I'm wearing my Cronenberg shirt, which I know this is a podcast. Love but imagine it. me wearing a shirt. Uh, funnily <laughs> enough, uh, last Sunday, so a week ago, I was in Kingston for the film festival mm. with a project of mine. And they had these official film festival t-shirts that's just like references to every Cronenberg movie. Rules. So I was in Toronto. Here, I can get a little pic. <laughs> yeah, we got to get a picture for the gram. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, our dependence on, like on technology. <laughs> so I was in Kingston, Ontario. Oh, wait, I took the video. <laughs> oh, perfect. Even better. And uh, I didn't have a lot of time, to be honest. This week uh, was a big week for a new film of mine. Um, but when I got back to New York, two days ago. I got back on Thursday night. I rewatched Videodrome and then I started Existence, finished it on Friday. And then I, to be honest, I couldn't rewatch Crimes of the Future. I couldn't find a stream. Oh, <laughs> I shouldn't say that as a film producer. I was like trying to watch it. <laughs> uh, but I, I was reading reviews of it because I didn't see it that long ago. So I feel, mm. I feel fairly refreshed, but I'm curious, Shelly and Michael, how was your viewing experiences with these three films? Oh, Shelly. Yeah. I'm curious. <laughs> It's interesting. So I've seen Videodrome a couple of times. Um, so I just went back and kind of, you know, scanned some scenes for this. And I saw Crimes of the Future a bit ago. So I did the same thing for that. And then I had never seen Existence, actually. So I, you know, this is not the ideal viewing experience, but it was a, a bit of a crazy week at work. So I was uh, kind of watching in bits and pieces throughout the week as I could find the time. Um, but yeah, but it was very interesting because, you know, speaking of having a crazy week at work, I work with social media. So um, watching these titles uh, as I'm thinking about my my current job there and as I've been kind of despairing about the, the amount of time that I stare at my computer and my phone was uh, <laughs> was a very interesting experience. <laughs> and Michael, a lot of these were new for you, right? A lot of these were new for me. Um, so... I was on, uh, I attempted a social media detox this week, which I uh, absolutely fucking blundered. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was just kind of a stressful, trying uh, week of uh, labor, <laughs> spiritually, mm -hmm. mentally, um, you know. But I was like, you know what? I got a new experience uh, set for the end of the day. Um, and so I did watch, uh, the trailers to each of these movies first because I didn't know shit about them. And when you don't know shit about a movie, it's kind of a blessing. Um, it's absolutely a blessing, uh, uh that you got to take advantage of. So I wanted the whole, like, all right, let me see the trailer. Um, let me see if I can stomach some of the shit. Cause I'm squeamish <laughs> as fuck. Um, like if I see, uh, reposted, no, 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 don't be sorry. I thank, I'm very grateful <laughs> for this list of movies. Like. Uh, emotionally, I, I identify with uh, <laughs> the character that Jude Law plays in uh, Existence. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. he's so uh, new. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I felt very new to these movies. They were a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, 
to take in, but um, man, oh man, that ending scene of Videodrome was like mm. beautiful. It was beautiful. So yeah. It was beautiful. Um, it almost makes you hate James Woods less because yeah. he right. like once was interesting. I know. Oh, oh my, that's the thing. I like, it's one of my most shameful, uh, you know, feelings, but I do love James Woods. Like I, I don't love present day James Woods, but he's got so many performances that like I really love. And he's so good at playing like a scumbag who's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and now it makes sense that he's so good at playing scumbags, but yeah. oh, it's like heartbreaking seeing him in, in something like this and being like, God, how far he's fallen. <laughs> oh, God. Even a little bit th- earlier in the uh, third act where, mm. you know, Barry Convex is like shredding apart. Um, like, <laughs> God damn. I've never seen no shit like that in my life. <laughs> I've never seen that shit before. And it was it was nice to feel that feeling. Um, just truly such a horrifying uh, mm. uh so many of the things that I've seen this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like really looking forward to watching some of his earlier stuff like uh Rabbit and the and the Brood. And mm-hmm. um I'm looking forward to The Fly, which um oh, you're gonna love it. My my brother once described the movie to me. He was like, Oh yeah, one time uh that movie was playing at a birthday party and uh I was eating a double cheeseburger from McDonald's and I threw it up immediately. Um, so I'm looking forward to that experience I find that film so sorry uh, very sexual despite how gross it is still like I mean maybe this is the Jeff Goldblum thing that I just can't get rid of but like even as he's falling apart which you'll see in the film uh, I still find him so hot yeah, and I was going to say, Michael, I think you're going to particularly love The Fly because it's like very romantic as it's, well. Ooh, I love <laughs> a Beauty and the Beast of yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah. Oh, it's Isn't he just trying it. to become closer with his wife? Isn't that the main thing? Like, they're just trying mm. to become the perfect family. Um, That's actually more in the sequel. But in this one, it really yeah. is like he's trying to transcend and like, mm. you know, advance this technology. And that becomes like his obsession, like yeah. even more than this budding relationship he's having mm. that was... You're going to love it. It's delicious. Okay. Excited. Well, I, one thing that I definitely want us to touch on later is, uh, our, our threshold for gore and, you know, how that has affected our, our viewing experiences with these movies. Mm -hmm. Um, but before we do that, Michael, I think that we might want to get a little warmed up. Oh, actually we do want to get warmed up. And before we get warmed up, (laughs) Um, I do want to run through the synopses of these three movies. Just you are so absolutely right. Those of you who are unfamiliar, like myself, uh, with these specific movies, just prepare yourselves. For, uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll kick off the first one. So the first one is Videodrome, uh, a programmer at a TV station that specializes in adult entertainment searches for the producers of a dangerous and bizarre broadcast. Very enticing. Uh, I will give a little synopsis for Existence. A game designer on the run from assassins must play her latest virtual reality creation with a marketing trainee to determine if the game has been damaged. Fascinating. (laughs) And crimes of the future. Humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. 
This partner Caprice, Saul Tenser, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances. There's a lot of goddamn mm. assassinations in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's trying to kill everyone. Yeah. Political <laughs> intrigue. Mm-hmm. Does, does Cronenberg have a movie where everybody's just sitting around a table, chilling, having like a nice family meal? Um, <laughs> does he have any like uh, four quadrant family features? Uh, that- could probably yeah, come does out he have Christmas like time? a straight story? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't. I kind of feel like his most commercial is probably Dead Zone, but Dead Ringers, yeah. no. Just nothing. Yeah, no, he's not a family movie guy. Yeah, it's just not his thing. By the end of this episode, we're going to craft a pitch for a potential family <laughs> film that David Cronenberg can direct. Yeah. Amazing. Let's let's figure that out. Let's I have it, it baking and put it on the back burner for now. <laughs> Yes. Just, Deal. Excellent. Yes. Well, we can ruminate on that. Yes. As we play. <laughs> Got ahead of myself before, but now it's time for the sexy <laughs> trivia game. Uh, Michael, um, what is the sexy trivia game? Well, uh, it's just a little appetizer to get the listeners slick for some movie chatting. Mm. I'll kick us off. Letter A. In Videodrome, David Cronenberg had to double James Woods for the scene in which Max Wren has a helmet put on his head because both were afraid to a point that he might be electrocuted by it. <laughs> Brave <Yeah>. David. Brave <laughs> David. <laughs> Lindsay, David. can you give us number B? Yes. I want to put on a voice now because I have to follow Michael. It was you, do. Okay. you do have to put on a voice. All right, I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> In Existence, Jennifer Jason Lee insisted on keeping one of the prop pods with her in between filming to strengthen the maternal bond that you see in film. That's Lord pretty... have mercy. <laughs> oh, my God, I love the southern twang. I, could, I don't know. It went there. It just went yeah, there naturally. It, it certainly did. Follow your instincts. Ooh, we love a Texas little regional flavor. Texas meets Toronto. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna finish us off with number C. For crimes of the future, the four hour extensive makeup prosthetics that models 40 ear replicas on contemporary Greek dancer Thassos Karahalios's body was so complex that he could not eat or drink during the whole process of application. What a frustrating day that must have been. Hard day. Did <laughs> that gross a- you out, Michael? Oh, God, yeah. Imagine being a dancer, <laughs> not being able to drink water all day. I know. It's my favorite drink. That does have um one of my favorite punchlines, that scene where he's like doing this crazy dance and then <laughs> it's followed by being like, the ears don't even work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Crimes of the Future made me laugh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite funny. The art world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh. the art like world a... stuff. Oh, oh sorry. sorry. I keep interrupting because I'm not <laughs> watching the video. Uh, I was just saying, it's, I think it's like a funny criticism of like the avant-garde art world or art performance yes. scene. Kind of mm. similar like into the square, but it's almost like more pointed because it's less overt. Mm. Oof. Yes. I absolutely have to watch the square. I saw uh, Triangle of Sadness and that was, uh, <laughs> that connection makes sense. But now I got to see the whole deal. Oh. Uh, 
And it is interesting that in the the previous two movies that we watched in this, you know, informal trilogy, that there are these like you know mass entertainment forms of TV and video games, and then it becomes this like very niche thing of of performance art in in this one. But it still has the presence of those TVs everywhere, which is I thought really interesting. Hmm. Anyway, definitely. <laughs> so I guess just to start off our mm. conversation, like what why should more people be watching david cronenberg movies i think that's a great question uh so the, i have a personal connection to david cronenberg as you yes. know because you've invited me here as like the resident torontonian on the podcast <laughs> uh he is like the hometown hero of filmmakers in toronto he's really put toronto on the map before drake well before yes. Justin Bieber yes. and Rob Ford, there was David fucking Cronenberg. And granted, he made his early films actually in Montreal, but he's totally a Toronto guy. He mm. places his films there. He's not afraid of showcasing Toronto in his films. They play a character in his movies, specifically in Videodrome and Crash and The Fly, where you can see like Kensington Market in the 1980s. It's very fun. And I love that he like truly respects where he's from and doesn't try to hide it or turn it into like some weird version of New York, which people like to do when they mm. film in Toronto. Weird. And also I think he's the grandfather of body genre films, not just body horror, which I think is something people are very familiar with, but mm. I'd say arguably most of his films have to do with the human body, including mm. being more like Eastern Promises, like Dead Ringers, uh, very psychological. So body genre, I think, is the style of films that he he is known for and he's kind of helped popularize. Yeah, absolutely. So like, do you, I think we probably talked about this a little bit when we, we last spoke with you, but do you remember when you first started getting into Cronenberg? Yes, I do. Because I wasn't allowed to watch horror films as a kid, which I did mention what? on the last one. It was not allowed. My parents are like, you know, they're like cool, liberal Canadians. But they, when we were kids, my brother and I weren't allowed to watch The Simpsons or like anything right, that right. might have swearing in it. Yeah, like weird shit like that. So, of course, that's why I'm such a freak now is because that stuff was repressed <laughs> for so long. I wasn't allowed to watch it. So then all I wanted to do was watch shit that I wasn't allowed to. And let's be honest, kids find ways, right? Like oh, my I was God. A kid we find our ways. We have friends. Oh we God. have internet. I Yo, we got imagine. grandma's basement. I'm just going to go to grandma's basement, turn <laughs> yeah. to IFC and watch secretary 10 times. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Try and stop me. Try and stop me. Try and stop me, grandma. <laughs> You're taking a nap right now. <laughs> yeah. It's funny though, because I realize, and it's kind of like the catalyst to what got me into filmmaking is mm. my uncle Jay, who's my mom's younger brother. He's always been obsessed with movies. And mm. when I was a kid, he gifted me, uh, movies for my birthday he'd give me dvds and it was when i turned 15 he gave me a dvd copy of dead ringers and i have a hundred percent certainty that my mother had no idea what the film mm. was because she wouldn't have allowed it um but he gave that film to me and it kind of yeah catapulted me into being pretty obsessed with david cronenberg i thought mm. holy shit who is jeremy irons what is this movie this is incredible i need to see more of it and that was kind of the beginning of the end for me uh, because then my parents couldn't stop me from renting Cronenberg at the video store. And I also started to look like I was could be 18 and rent these films <laughs> on my own. Granted, the, the clerk at Rogers Video didn't card me, so I was fine. Mm -hmm. After that, it was like the vault was open and I couldn't stop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Uncle so, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Dead Ringer is obviously one of the like classic Cronenberg titles, but not quite the same kind of like body horror that we're looking at in Ooh, these ones. And just so I understand for context, yeah. what's the gist with Dead Ringers? Uh, um, 
Do you take it away, Shelly. No, you go for it. <laughs> uh, it's like twin gynecologists who like share their, they look identical and they kind of, um, there's like a romantic element to this film where one of them is more overt and outward than the other. Again, I'm forgetting characters' names, but both the twins are made, played by Jeremy Irons and they start passing off, the the one who's more sociable starts passing off his ex-lovers to his uh, less social twin. And oh then, uh, yeah, so then there becomes this conflict when the less social one falls in love with one of the, these women and it catapults into this identity crisis that turns into isolation and it's totally brilliant and disturbing and you can see mm-hmm. as they kind of slowly start to descend into madness and does jeremy irons irons play both of the oh my god this <laughs> yes. i got it one i gotta see this two this sounds like a dream that i had uh, <laughs> oh yeah this sounds like a dream that I, had. I had a dream <laughs> that i went on a date with myself many years ago <laughs> and uh then ate myself uh <laughs> it was weird i don't know <laughs> like literally Whoa. ate yourself like i ate myself like i went back okay. and i i fucking ate myself it was weird wow Ooh, yeah. we gotta i would love to hear your therapist i gotta talk to my therapist about that i got i got a lot of fucking weird dreams uh which is kind of what what i loved about watching these movies i was like this feels like a nightmare i've had um, so funny yeah, and 100%. famously, uh, Jeremy Irons, which I think I might have brought this up on your last appearance as well, famously seems kind of into incest with his son. <laughs> oh, Whoa, yeah. yeah, yeah, I hate, yeah. I hate this piece of trivia, though, Shelly. It's so <laughs> depressing. It's so depressing because I think he did. He said this quote, like, after he did Lolita. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, no, he's got, like, multiple things. Like, I remember I read an interview where he was like, my son's beautiful body and then he's got that famous uh, HuffPo thing where he's like, if we pass a gay marriage, mightn't a father marry a son? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, no. Jelly. It's great. <laughs> <That's> great stuff. <laughs> so oh. as, uh, as we were saying, Dead Ringers, not the body horror uh, <laughs> aspect of Cronenberg. Of so when did you first get into his more kind of like overt horror films? So I think it was when I saw The Fly, that would have been like the first of his overt body horror stuff and certainly one of his bigger commercial works. First, Mm -hmm. I think was Dead Zone and then The Fly or The Fly and then Dead Zone. But those were his big two commercial works. I saw The Fly and then Dead Zone and then I went back to Scanners and Rabid. And I just remember being like obsessed with the artistry of the body horror on screen. I loved the expression of the makeup. And, you know, as a kid who was like in that early 2000s, like starting to get really into horror around like, you know, Mm. the early 2000s era, a lot more CGI was being implemented, which I found always kind of um, just unappealing. I never really really liked. Yeah, like it just kind of irked me in a way that on screen effects and practical effects never did. I loved the artistry of them. So I became really obsessed with watching films that were known for the, you know, their uh, on-screen effects. And Cronenberg is clearly the master of it. And I love the way that he iterates uh, body design on screen. Naked Lunch Mm. is another one too, where this was uh, an adaptable book and he Mm. somehow adapted it and made it as grotesque as possible. But I find them really palatable because it's not that weird CGI, like, um, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? When it seems real, but it's not uncanny, uncanny valley. valley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just way more uh, organic, and it feels it feels nice. It's, like, nice to see a, an emphasis on that kind of organic materials. That yeah. It makes it less gross to me, you know? I, I absolutely, I, I absolutely, yes, you put 
the words, uh, the feeling that I had at the end of Videodrome where the guy's tumors fucking. <laughs> I had to read the Wikipedia uh, spoilers for each one of these movies uh, <laughs> because I was watching with an eight year old boy that was my inner child. Oh. And uh, I that was going to be a nephew. No, no, no. I was worried too. No, no, no. I was watching with my, my younger self who is afraid oh. of these movies. And I had to be like, it's not real. It's not real. Like, you know, it's, you know, a guy, the guy who plays Barry Convex was probably, uh, he probably finished rapping and he took a look down at the fucking puppet that they made of this guy, you know, having tumors burst through his fucking body. And he probably got a kick out of it. And he's like, oh, that's crazy. Oh, I'm going to pick up my kids. And, you know, it's, oh, God. <laughs> I had to like tell myself that it was just shit that somebody made up and it was, uh, it was beautiful and enjoyable to watch because of that. Yeah. I think it also helps to know that a lot of actors who work with Cronenberg are repeat offenders. They keep coming back to work with him because they have such a good time on set. And I think famously one of my favorite cameos is with Willem Dafoe in Existence. He hasn't done a film with Cronenberg since, but he's been dying to, and he like bugs him all the time. He's like, please put me in one of your movies. I think he really wanted to be in, um, what was the Freudian one? A Dangerous Method. He like asked to be in that film, but, but he's not, he just did Existence. But we did get Vigo in that one, who we have again in Crimes of the Future. Mm -hmm. The Vigo era. Yes, he's in his Vigo era. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was just going to say that, like, it is true that there is something about, like, seeing, I don't know if it's, like, both the the visual qualities of the effects themselves or the fact that, like, there is, like, that air of seeing something constructed that, like, gives you a a, a little bit of distance. So, like, because, I mean, there's some violence in existence that, like, I found generally like genuinely really upsetting because it looked more realistic. Oh yeah. Um, whereas like the stuff in Crimes of the Future and in Videodrome like really don't bother me at all. I'm happy to see blood and guts and stuff because like it's very explicit, but it looks it looks a bit more artificial maybe. So you can. Mm-hmm step back a little bit <laughs> and not feel totally. as crazy about it. <laughs> I'm curious what was like a, a trigger moment for you in existence? Like what kind of body harm or violence or what of the, what kind of special effects in the film really, really got you? Well, Michael and I were talking earlier that the, the shooting in the Chinese restaurant, we both mm-hmm. found that like pretty disturbing, both because of the kind of like, you know, weird racial elements to yes. it. But, but also mm-hmm. just, yeah, the, like seeing the open head at the end, yeah. it's like, it's one thing to see, you know, Vigo's stomach open and like pulling out like various organs because you're like, that's yeah. not real. There's but... a silliness to it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I could go, Sorry. oh, that's crazy. Yeah, but you mm-hmm. see someone get shot in the face and you're like, oh, that happens to people. Uh, that just happens. That's just something. Yeah. Up oh, God, I'm going to say something so naive. But as a Canadian, like I truly never think about gun violence until I like move to the States in like a significant way because it was mm. never a threat until... Yeah when right. I'm in America and my mom has to remind me she's like don't pick fights with people which is something yeah. I used to do I guess uh, don't pick fights with people they might have a gun yeah. and that's something I never grew up with so it's mm-hmm. like a weird cultural thing for me that's too interesting but yeah yeah no gun violence and well very little gun violence in Toronto like minuscule yeah. I got the same thing from older family members, like growing up of like when, if they were like on the verge of road rage or something, they would tell each other, like, don't fight with this person because if they have a gun in their car, like, (laughs) we don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. You bring up a really good point, Shelly, because it wasn't until I was rewatching these films, Videodrome has a moment too of like interesting Asian fetishization in the beginning of the film, which 
I, you know, probably didn't clock when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly now I was like, that's weird. And then again, yeah. watching Existence, like, that's interesting that that's yeah. the character who's like the double agent. But oh, yeah, spoilers. Right. Spoilers for yeah. all these films, right? Spoilers for all, yeah. We spoil shit all the time. They know what they're getting into when they listen to this. Yeah. We <laughs> say in the social media to watch the movies. And if they didn't watch the movies, we're going to spoil them. You're on it's your own, own babe. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. But yes, it did feel weird. And this is something that I chose not to investigate for this podcast only because mm. I felt like that was a much larger discussion is the like inherent whiteness of Cronenberg films. It Mm. doesn't reflect a Toronto that I grew up in or live in. Mm. Um, And yeah, there's something strange about that. And I would say a sci-fi genre in totality, there is an inherent whiteness to science fiction Mm. that I've never quite understood. Uh, But I think that's like a much larger topic to, to dig into maybe. Yeah. It is. It, it, it's a it's a very interesting topic um, because watching this, I was just like, damn, there really ain't no black people watching this movie, <laughs> um, watching all of these movies. But mm-hmm. um, it's particularly during those uh, kind of scenes where, you know, the only people where you see Asian people um, kind of in this um, fetishized or um, kind of a victim mm-hmm. kind of place it's uh yeah it was it was it was weird to take it was weird to watch but i I think it comes from you know cultural blind spots that you know Mm -hmm. any artist can have but definitely Mm -hmm. uh a conversation for another day uh, that I'd like to have after I've read more books. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also feel ill-equipped to address it like in yeah. its totality, but I will say something that you were talking about, Shelley, that I think is interesting is finding the violence that, you know, Viggo Mortensen's character endures in Crimes of the Future not being as uh, difficult to watch versus yeah. uh, those other moments where they mm-hmm. are being victimized and violated in ways that are against consent. Right. So I think like even Debbie Harry's character, like she goes after the violence. She wants violence enacted on her. So it's almost like we as the viewer can accept that violence Mm. and enjoy it on screen versus like that's a character who didn't want that to happen. Interesting. You know, so there's there's a level there uh, of of, I guess, consenting behavior that maybe is is what's at the touchstone of what you're talking Mm. about. And that's definitely a, a huge thing in Videodrome because, I mean, James Woods' character is, like, so, like, horrified by her burning herself with a cigarette. But, I mean, he's happy to watch, you know, the Videodrome footage of, you know, seemingly unconsenting people <laughs> being tortured. So, right. yeah, yeah. And, like, it's interesting that character's sort of arc and that, like, you know, in the beginning of the film that he's clearly, like, so comfortable with violence unless someone's actually deriving pleasure from it. <laughs> And isn't that interesting? Because that's the whole point, right? He's trying to drive up viewership by getting this like really intense content that he's like, there's no way at first it's real. There's no Mm. way. It's just, it's enticing. It's it's sexual in a way that it made me think of um, revisiting my film school days, Linda Williams' body horror. Mm. So that was like a thing. She's a, a, a cultural theorist and she talks about how women's bodies are utilized in films to convey emotion. In the Mm. horror film, they are violated in order to scare us. In the melodrama, they are crying in order to uh, trigger our tears. And in pornography, they're penetrated in order to turn us on. So women's bodies being used as these like catalysts for emotion. And so I think he's like kind of the dean of that in Videodrome is he's like looking to see violation upon others in order for, you know, for him and his viewers to have the self-pleasure. But the moment it becomes too real, aka it affects him. Mm. that it's no longer pleasurable yeah 
So, like, in Cronenberg, we've got this concept of the new sex. Like, do you want to elaborate on what that means to you? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, I, I'm, like, holding my notes because I'm, like, this is so fun. Oh, I've got a book. A I, I was so excited to revisit these films because, of course, and this is something that I talk about on my TikTok, right? I've mm. been doing this media literacy thing on TikTok recently because I noticed, um, I realized people don't, maybe learn media literacy in school when i was a nope. kid in canada we had these advertisements on tv these like paid ads mm. from the um concerned children's advertisers and it was mm. like a house hippo a miniature hippo in your house eating your toast and then it would pan out and you'd see a tv set be like that looked really real but you knew it wasn't real right and this is shit that i grew up with in canada wow. so i saw this discourse it's pretty pretty dope i'll send you the uh, yeah. link to this this infomercial yes. i actually um, need a, midi- a media literacy education uh <laughs> because i believe everything i see on television and in the internet well uh, you and i think like the majority of people now because this is not like it for me it was something we were taught in english and like in our english class media class in like grade mm-hmm. four or five but it's something that yeah. i think it's like an elective now uh there yeah. was a funny discourse happening on tiktok i'm just gonna do a little background funny discourse about the film American Beauty where yeah. there was a video posted about it and the comments were exceedingly critical like could you believe that film won awards that movie glorifies pedophilia and I remember being like are people watching this like it's a two yeah. minute clip of someone reacting to American Beauty for the first time and being like the film is saying pedophilia is good that oh like the God. whole point of the movie is that you know Kevin Spacey's character is scum. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. he's a Gross piece of shit. Fantasy, and he has to die again. Spoilers, sorry, folks. But uh, yeah, it's no, not no, like yeah. a, I mean, a subtle touch yeah. in that movie. <laughs> no, and it it kind of hits you over the head with the point. Like yeah. I would I would even contend it's not a very great. It's not a very good movie. I don't like it. But I mean, um, you and me both, sister. Yeah, but I did this like whole post on TikTok, being like, guys, you need media literacy. Like you can't read what's on screen and and understand it as being like. Like, that's fact. You have to, like, read between mm-hmm. the lines and understand, like, there are editing cues and different cues in films that allure allude to us that this is not how you should be interpreting it. We're making mm-hmm. – this is a critical stance of the subject matter on screen. Right. So when I was going back into these films, which I know and love so well, I was like, I'm going to just – Make sure my critical thinking cap is really on. Oh, hell yeah. Put that baby on and like take notes. So that's what I did. And that's why I'm holding this funny little book, which no one can see as they're listening to this podcast. Um, so something I, I was, and we love it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I really was trying to figure out, I'm like, what is this, this unofficial trilogy, which Cronenberg himself has said, you know, there's a through line with these three films and I was trying to create, but he doesn't overtly go into what it is. And I was trying right. to create that through line. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing that I think is really interesting is both Videodrome and Existence were commercial failures. So they mm-hmm. were his original screenplays. And then Existence was the second original screenplay after Videodrome. And then he shortly after shooting Existence wrote Crimes of the Future, but it took him many years to make it. So I think it's interesting. He was writing them all in the same kind of mindset. And I think to me, ultimately at the core of each of these films is bodily transformations reflecting the character's inner desires, which in turn reflect sociopolitical ideas of like modern technology and how it affects Mm. us. So in each of these films, they very much hearken to their specific time setting. In 1983, with Videodrome, it, there's like an anxiety. We have this increased technology and access to information through broadcast television. Yeah. In 1999, mm. we have a bit of the Y2K fear seeping in with yeah. the increased mm. advance of gaming technology and alternate reality. 
Right. And now looking to 2022, we're living in an increasingly inhabitable world with, you know, mm-hmm. pollution, et cetera. So how does the body adapt? And mm-hmm. I think what the new sex is, is essentially this concept of how do humans adapt to a world with uh, these increasing anxieties about technology and the world around them. And I ultimately find that Cronenberg uh, is saying, you know, in a way I I see him as an optimist. I think he's a humanist. I think he Mm -hmm. really believes that like humans can continue to create community and uh, find new ways to like enjoy their lived realities. I think it's also Mm -hmm. important to know that he's an atheist. So a lot of these films do not really contend to an afterlife. There's no... Mm -hmm redeeming arc that takes the characters beyond the reality that they're in they have to cope with the situations they're in and oftentimes they're doing the best that they can to do Mm -hmm. so to survive so the new sex looks like a few things i think in videodrome we see a character played by james woods again i always just like to think of him as stuck in that time like when he was (laughs) interesting in art house cool right um, this increased drawn, uh, uh, I guess, attention to violence, bodily violence mm-hmm. enacted on women, and it doesn't feel real. This is this kind of new sex. But the sensory aspect of that is how the film or how the television both is penetrating the viewer with its broadcast signals mm-hmm. and then physically penetrating him. And then I think what's interesting about the new sex in uh, existence is the gaming port itself, of course, a penetrative device, and Mm -hmm. how kind of creating a shared consciousness among the players of the game, that's like Mm -hmm. the new sex. That's what's enjoyable for them. They don't really know where they're at, but they have to do this together. It builds this interesting community. And then, of course, surgery being the new sex in Crimes of the Future. (laughs) Humans no longer feel pain. They're riddled with cancer. And this Mm -hmm. is like their new form of enjoyment, but also it's a mode of survival. They have to take these things out in order to live. Or, Mm -hmm. I mean, it it depends on how you both interpret the ending. Does Viggo Mortensen live or is he eating that plastic and dying? I think he's eating that plastic and dying. (laughs) I I don't know. I think I might kind of disagree. I think that like thinking of Cronenberg as potentially an optimist, like I, I think that there is something appealing about reading that ending as this sort of like, beatific because I mean, you know it, it it's been famously commented on that it's like a reflection of you know the the passion of Joan of Arc in the way that it's framed um yeah. and yeah that's sort of sort of like even if he doesn't believe in a god in the way that like a Joan of Arc believes in a god that there is some sort of like I guess almost like divinity and immensity to just humankind and this idea that like even if the you know world is being destroyed around us that like there is like a certain um like almost like divinity in the process of evolution that like humans could continue to survive even if it's by (laughs) eating plastic (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that I I think you're onto something with that I don't have like a strong opinion either way about the ending of that film but where I find Cronenberg's optimism is almost like in his inherent belief that like people will find ways to cope and if that Mm -hmm. means killing yourself to cope that's still a way of coping uh and there's Yeah, it's dark, but I that's kind of what I it's kind of what I felt. I was like, oh, he's dying, and it's his choice. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. uh, something else to go back to the new sex. The idea of the new sex also doesn't have to be inherently 
sexual. And I'll try to explain what I'm, what I'm thinking about this here. So like Mm -hmm. something like the act of, you know, the hand going to James Wood's torso, or even Mm -hmm. the way that, um, you know, Viggo Mortensen's like zipper wound is filleted. And even the way the ports are licked on to plug in for existence, these in themselves are not sexual acts in the way Mm -hmm. that we know sexual acts. But Mm -hmm. I think Cronenberg is such a sexual being that these (laughs) and it's so inherent to like just being a human that these Mm -hmm. moments are kind of I like the way he normalizes sex in his film I love loved those uh, (laughs) uh, all right right, okay I'm sorry uh the the very uh the vaginal stomachs in Mm. uh Videodrome and Crimes of the Future I absolutely love those scenes um Mm particularly the scene where uh Viggo Mortensen has like the zipper mm-hmm. um in his stomach I yeah it was just so interesting to watch <laughs> and I haven't felt uh any oh look I saw Magic Mike 3 over the weekend and I felt nothing the whole time so <laughs> like it was just kind of nice <laughs> to feel anything again and then in existence where they have the like they're they're buttholes, right? They're 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 buttholes. Oh, um, interesting. The, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like the, the whole time, I was just like, "Those are that's." There's no way those are not meant to be buttholes. Yeah, you're um, lubing them up, and then you're and lubing them up. I was <laughs> like, "Yo, this is like, <laughs> I know what that is." <laughs> um, uh, but it was just so interesting to see because I was like, "Damn, there's no way." I mean, there's no other way we would be able to see this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> like we outside of this kind of movie um, and like a big popular, you know, popcorn movie kind of a way. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if existence was a popcorn movie in its time. I, you know, but um, bit of a yeah. bit of a blockbuster failure there. Like it kind of yeah. came and went and it's very sad to me because I find existence to be like such a profound movie about like yeah. increased fear of technology and alternative reality. I think it works so well as a companion piece to the matrix, which came out yes. the same year and yes. honestly was a lot more popular, yes. um, but you can see its influence on later films about the same subject matter. Yeah, yes. and I think also the casting of Jude Law is so interesting for me because, I mean, I, one of my favorite movies is AI, mm. and he's, you know, of course, wonderful in that movie. And, yeah, I think all of these films, AI and these this trilogy, like, you know, are questioning the idea of, like, how do we define a human? Like, what when do we continue to be a human, or are we something else? Like, <sighs> Oh, my God, that's such a good point. I love the mention of AI. And let me just throw in Gattaca, um yes. <laughs> as a if we wanted to go down the branch of like the Jude Law <laughs> body <laughs> trilogy um another I feel like there's an opportunity sure. there. Oh yeah. Another episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, See yeah. you in a couple of weeks. I love we that. About. <laughs> Can you just come by every day? <laughs> we'll have a chat. <laughs> but that's so on point what you're saying. Like, where does the human body end and technology begin? Or are they mm-hmm. one and the same? Where does this right. reality end and the other one begin? Which is a big question mm-hmm. in existence. But I think what Cronenberg ultimately his thesis in these films is like they are one and the same. And mm-hmm. when yeah. you accept them and learn how to live with them, that's when you can, you know, your human reality, it begins and ends with with the body. And technology yeah. can be a part of that, or it doesn't, you can elect to not have it be part of that. But it yeah. is, it begins and ends with you. So I, I that's why I see him as a humanist in that regard. Oh, I, 
I think it's so interesting comparing crimes of the future to these other two, because the other two are like so specifically about sort of the melding of the human body yeah. with technology. Whereas crimes of the future, it's a bit more of like an organic process. Like obviously it's like influenced by this like, you know, technological world around them, but it's mm-hmm. also just like an organic evolution that people are undergoing in response to their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, like, even if it's not that sort of like explicit, like how do we define the divide between human and machine? Even then they're questioning, like, at what point do you stop being a human? And are you just, like, something completely different? Like, if you can be a little boy, like, eating a trash can, like, are you you still, like, a human little boy? Yeah. And I think it's fascinating, too, that Cronenberg elects to create very organic-looking biotechnology. So everything Mm. in existence, you know, the technology in Videodrome and the supporting life technology in Crimes of the Future all look Mm. like these humanistic creepy, I Cronenbergian is like now a word. Thanks, Rick and Morty for that. Uh, but like this kind of technology that feels organic, like it's a living, breathing thing. In fact, the game pods in existence are made from uh, amphibian eggs or like reproductive yeah. organs. So they are inherently natural of the natural world until, mm. and I think this is interesting. I don't know if I have a conclusion about this yet, but watching the end of existence again, where you get back into what is perceivably the real world, where mm-hmm. the technology looks like what we understand to be technology. You know, it's, right. it's gamified. It's it's hard metal. It's not this bioorganic mess. Mm-hmm. We is see that... normal guns instead of the fried chicken guns. <laughs> exactly. But is that the real reality or is it just right. another layer of the game? And it's interesting that that's the, the where he leaves us to question, like, what what mm. is where is the end line here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if like we're experiencing this, you know, I guess you could call it a delusion or alternate reality. But if we're experiencing that on mass, like if everyone is like part of Videodrome, then is that reality now rather than what we perceived as reality before? Because if that's what we're all collectively experiencing, like, you know, Mm -hmm. if they complete their project, um, then who's who's to say what's what is reality? Does that become reality then? (laughs) Oh my God, this whole conversation is making me think of my relationship with social media. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah? Oh God, yeah. (laughs) Go on, like what's it uh, specifically bringing up for you? (laughs) I don't know. Um, It's very easy to get, it's it's very easy for me to get uh, very pessimistic about what social media is doing to people, what it's Mm. doing to our minds. Um, And I'm a person that works in front of a computer all day. So my connection to my body is like so-so most of the time. Um, but it is nice to adopt an alternative, uh, view, um, of, uh, a person's one's relationship with, uh, social media, which is probably the dominating prevailing, you know, media that everybody's fucking using. Um, and you can use it or it can use you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like, uh, just the idea that there, you don't have, it doesn't have to be a fucking bleak thing. Um, mm-hmm. Like it can be a tool to build community. Um, it doesn't have to totally. And, and I don't know like what point I'm really trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are just things that have been on my mind um, as I've been watching these movies and trying to like use social media and, honestly like be away from screens and be in my body more Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah Yeah, i don't know 
Oh, yeah. I mean, in these movies, like, you know, part of it is that this technology that, you know, comes to dominate people's existences, like, you know, is under the influence of groups with specific interests. Social media is, you know, the purview of private companies who can do anything they want with them at a whim. Like, yeah. you know, I know we can technically buy land, but like, if it, you know, for all intents and purposes, you can't like own the grass. So, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> there's something to be said for like the physical world outside of these like mediated realities that mm-hmm. they're experiencing in these movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like a really big existential topic, but I like the way that Cronenberg approaches it because it makes yeah. it um, he does it in a way that's like it's not overwhelming to think about. Mm. What are we doing to the environment when, like, you know, winter in New York this year has been abysmal? It's basically been like light spring. <sighs> yeah. It's, and yeah. Yeah. Like imagining a future where humans evolve to be able to uh, eat plastics is like this kind of coping mechanism for the mm-hmm. the scariness of the future. And, you know, we see like our generation, there's like a whole influx of people who are electing not to have children because they have anxieties mm-hmm. about you know, what's coming next. I don't think your relationship with social media uh, and that kind of fear is unfounded. I think it's very truthful. I would actually Mm -hmm. love to see Cronenberg uh, approach a specifically social media interface as like the threat in the film. Oh my God. I kept saying that. (laughs) I can't, I, oh, we got to post our chat, Shelley. We got to post some of our chats. (laughs) Yeah, Michael was having a bit of a spiral. (laughs) Oh God. I, I fucking love video drums so much um, because, yeah, I, I felt like it was a very hopeful one. Um, and mm. Crimes of the Future, after this conversation, I'm feeling like, oh, God, that was a really, that was a really uplifting film for these times that we're in. <laughs> a little bit. Like, imagine a world where you can treat your own cancer and turn it into performance art in order to, like, I mean, yeah, you need a bio bed to, like, fucking eat food, but, you yeah, know, at but least. But those are probably can... only 3000 bucks. So, yeah, yeah. You know, with a broker fee of 6 yeah. That's totally fine. Like, if you have money, if you have money, you'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as it always goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you bringing up the idea of him working on something with social media because my you know immediate thought was like oh every movie that like deals with social media like they can't make it visually interesting but i mean you could say that about tv or about video games but he he does make it visually interesting because he physicalizes it Mm -hmm. and i also think it's really interesting that he chooses and i actually i didn't do enough research on crimes of the future to say this concisely but Videodrome, of course, of an era where it's all on-screen effects. He did the mm. same for Existence, despite having CGI. He does use CGI in the film, but only to enhance mm. what's already on screen, not uh. to create something from scratch. So I yeah. think that's so funny that like he's this person who's like kind of inherently like he's okay with technology. He's he mm. likes how it advances his art form, but he doesn't elect to choose it. And I mm. think Crimes of the Future like probably does the same thing. I think there's still a lot of practical specifically in regards to the body. I just didn't yeah. do my research to know if like all of the technology that you see in the film is uh, right. on screen effects or if it is just like visual computer stimulated. So yeah, I should have I should have read into that, but I like that he <laughs> elects to continue to use on screen effects as much as possible. I think it's sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah, and like I I find it very charming that like in Crimes of the Future, like the TVs that like they use in their presentation are very kind of like old fashioned TVs. Like oh, there is yeah. something, and they're in like mm-hmm. all these sort of like physical spaces together, which is so interesting. Like because I, mean, I think it filmed during COVID, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But so, yeah, but they, I think especially, uh, you know, in our COVID world of where we're all more on our screens and less like in person together, like there's something very charming about him having like it was shot in like a warehouse and all these people are physically there together and they've got these like old fashioned TVs. Like there is a kind of like throwback quality to it. Yes. As it's looking towards like the, you know, potential horrors of our future. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, I guess, uh, surgery orgy, uh, scene where everybody's Ooh. just chopping into each other. Yeah. Um, I really fucking loved that scene <laughs> so much. It was so fun. Um, and I'm I'm very curious to know some of y'all's favorite images or uh, imagery from uh, these three movies. Um, I've mm-hmm. talked a lot about the tumor scene in uh, Videodrome, but mm-hmm. uh, the scene in uh, Crimes of the Future where there are there's like one lady cutting into another woman's foot, and you could like hear the bone, uh, the mm-hmm. blade scraping the bone. Um, and no one feels pain, so it's fine. Everyone's fine. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, you can cut into me. Like, <laughs> uh, like, oh, God, I loved it so much. Um, I thought it was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Very curious to know what stuck in y'all's brains. I love that foot scene. I'm actually someone who, like, there's very few things on screen that I have trouble watching. Like, I just, right. it, it irks me in a way. One of them is, like, feet stuff. Feet and Achilles heels. <laughs> yeah. That foot scene totally works for me. Again, I think it's this mm. premise that, like, it is a consenting act. Mm. Like, both parties yeah. are consenting to the act. Uh, I love the body modification uh, of the forehead for Leia Sadu's character, too, as, like, yes. an act mm. of, you know, doing that for herself. Like, she becomes mm. enamored with this idea of doing that for herself, I thought was really um, poignant. Uh, God, there's so many moments in existence, I feel like it's hard to choose one, <laughs> but it's hard to forget about Jude Law sucking the flesh off the bones to make his bio gun. Yes. It's such a funny moment, and it's just, like, totally weird, but you know he had to <laughs> suck something to shoot yeah. that scene which yeah. i really enjoy <laughs> I, yeah that's so good yeah i mean i think you know it's a cliche one but i mean the videodrome image of the undulating tv like, yes. Yes. Oh, yes yes god yeah that's so it's so sensual and it's so bizarre like because i mean just the sort of like juxtaposition of this like i don't know how you make a tv seem sexual but yeah. <laughs> it does mm-hmm. and whipping but, the teeth the tv yeah yeah that whole action is so great (laughs) oh Oh, it's so good okay i'm sorry so sorry so oh no and i was just gonna say and i agree with you michael that having the premise of them not feeling pain in crimes of the future like i think otherwise i would get squicked out by seeing them sewing the lips shut yeah but i was like this is fine he's having a great time (laughs) um i'm very curious this is a question that just popped into my head if y'all could get like any kind of Cronenbergian uh, like body modification or transformation, uh, what would you what would you want? What would what would you want to happen? How would you like to transform? Um, I think about this a lot. Oh <laughs> my god, this. it's an yeah. amazing question. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think about this shit all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I'm embarrassed that one like immediately came to mind that is like yes. so yes. that it's that it, w- it would have like a self-pleasuring clitoris so you can <laughs> hands-free masturbate <laughs> oh my god <laughs> whoa oh that's my god cool. that's so cool <laughs> i can't believe that's the very first thing that came to mind. incredible uh you know there's like sex toys that kind of look like cronenbergian ideations yeah. like there's that like 
I like clit sucking vacuum toy that like kind of looks like a gaming console from existence meets something else. It's like funny that sex toys are starting to look like the yeah. biotechnology Holy moly. Something right. to think yeah. about putting yeah. in my pocket. Also, I saw a foot, uh, it's a foot uh, pocket pussy. Sorry for the terminology. I used to work in a sex store. So the right, right. sole. Foot pocket yeah. pussy. Whoa. You would think uh, the top of the foot, it's a foot with an ankle. Yeah. You would think the top of the foot, might, maybe that's, nope. It's yeah. the yeah. sole of the foot is where the, the, the labia is of the sex toy. And I got this advertised to me on fucking Instagram and I almost lost my shit. <laughs> I screenshotted it. I'll send it to you. Oh um, my god! Very weird Cronenbergian sex toys out there. Yeah, Tarantino and Cronenberg collide. <laughs> okay, oh but I have god. an answer to your question now, Michael. Yes, I yes. I, if I could take something from a Cronenberg film and apply it to myself, it would be one Jeff Goldblum inside of me. Okay, put that aside. <laughs> Boom! Uh, <laughs> just had to put that out there. Uh, okay, the the no longer feeling pain element of mm. Crimes of the Future, but. Yes in crash because i would want to mm. crash a car with james spader as you both know very well oh my I'd, god i'd like to have that last scene with him i would like oh. this but the ability to not feel pain i hope you know you still feel pleasure in a different way but her crashing the car would then be the pleasure point so that would be my wow. application wow. Ooh, that's good Oof. yeah oh i like this i'm gonna go with that i'm feeling good that's a her. really really good one thank yeah, you so that's much great <laughs> Thank you for the question. It's a credible question. Uh, yeah, course. this is a great question. Of course. So what do you think, Michael? Um, so to, I always have, I think about these kinds of things a lot. So um, I Don't have, a, I feel like it's a different thing every day. <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about what I would just, I'm thinking a lot about choosing the person I'd want to be. And uh, there are a couple things that I would want. One is uh, four extra limbs, like something between... A, I love spiders, so I would love like a a subset of arm of like like a second set of arms, but they could have a couple less fingers. They don't have to be quite as big um, as my current arms, but like a second set of arms, and then maybe a set of something that is between arms and legs. I don't know mm. something that's between like they can function as legs if I need to like stand in a different way, but. They can also function as arms if should I need, you know, the strength. Um, Imagine buying shirts. And then, oh, yeah, that would be fun because then I can just cut holes into my shirts. Um, yeah. I would just have things tailored very well, like Tar, um, like Lydia Tar. Um, and then the other thing that I would want, very inspired, uh, Shelly, by uh, the self-pleasuring clitoris, <laughs> I would want a penis where the head can also open up where like the eye can open Ooh. up into and become a, a mouth um and then okay. inside the mouth there's like an optional eyeball kind of like a hr geiger, geiger like oh, i got an eyeball down there like the, the head and like alien when it bursts yes, out of the stomach yes precisely yeah. like that um yeah, maybe with its own, uh, with its own, uh, you know how there are some animals that have like, there's like octopus can have like, uh, yeah. three brains or something like that. Yeah, like another brain, like an actual brain and actual conscious. Huh. Um, because I feel like uh, that would be cool. <laughs> wow. So that... are you is your consciousness per also perceiving the consciousness of the penis brain? Uh, they can interact, but they are not the same. 
Um, That's a movie, by the way. That's a movie. I had to like think about it. It's called Bad Biology by Frank Helen Lauder and my friend Anthony is in it. And he has holy moly. He has like a monster dick that thinks for itself. It doesn't have the optional eyeball. But oh. it's like a woman whose vagina like controls her and she like ravages and destroys men, but she meets her match when she meets this guy with like a, a monster dick that like it thinks for itself. That's oh, bad incredible. biology. What a bad good biology. What a good oh. pairing for this episode. <laughs> Seriously. Well, speaking of pairing, so uh we're not going to do a game today, but Michael, you had a, a fun idea of how we could finish out the episode. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> uh so instead of pairings or a game, I think it would be interesting to talk about uh, movies that you could chase, uh, like chasers to go with this week's films. Uh, because after you've seen the human body get, you know, shredded up, torn apart, twisted, yeah. uh, you know, a little aftercare might be uh, something that could, uh, you know, calm you down. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, not that anything really uh, stirred me up. Just, you know. Um, <laughs> But uh, one movie that I did watch with these was uh, Rocky Three. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah! In the in the general uh, body umbrella of movies, so you got your David Cronenberg, but you also mm-hmm. got a little Flashdance, you know, <laughs> little uh, Footloose, uh, body movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rocky is probably one of my my favorite ones about body changes and stuff. And I think Rocky Three is the most uh, deeply erotic of the Rocky movies. Um, those motherfuckers love each other. Um, but the only way that they can communicate it is through the sport of boxing. Um, I can read more books and find a better way to say it. But um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I fucking love those movies. I fucking love the workout scenes. They're so... Fun to watch, inspirational. The run on the beach. Beautiful. Yeah. Such it's a good beautiful. answer. Yeah. Yeah, Thank that's you. a good one. What, what about, about you, Lindsay? Um, I have a few. I would say my first number one comfort film of all time is Stephen Chow's Kung Fu Hustle. Easily. Oh, fun. So like when I'm depressed or when I've seen something that's so like you know, just traumatic for whatever reason. Like I, mm-hmm. I saw a really brilliant film, but it was really hard to sit through because it was based on real crimes. Uh, Ali Abbasi's Holy Spider. And oh, afterwards yeah. I was just so disturbed um, that I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to put on a mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Chow movie because he's the best. Mm-hmm. Kung Fu Hustle just always makes me smile. And it's also like, funnily enough, it's very much a body film. Like you see bodies transform yeah. and you see them get crushed in cartoonish ways, but it's always nice. It's funny mm-hmm. and like no one truly dies like people just kind of get hurt and then they're back up again so that would be one and then i'd probably oh, pick fun. like most studio ghibli films not all because like grave of the fireflies absolutely not but like yeah. princess mononoke <laughs> kiki's mm, love service, that one. Pongo. Mm. like i would feel good you know and yes. comforted <laughs> having that on and then i think a verse to that is just my favorite film one of my favorite movies of all time wayne's world you know, it's see so my good. yeah, Canadian Mike Myers just doing his thing. It's so sweet. I can quote the whole film. Like, put on something that's familiar after you've been traumatized mm. is like a good thing in and of itself. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I've got two that are 
very different, but they both deal with bodies in some way that I think is an interesting kind of like counterpoint to, you know, the horror elements in Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, um, I think this is how you pronounce his name, Radu Jude, um, who uh, I really like as a director. He has got a, a 2016 film called Scarred Hearts. Mm. Um that's based on um, apparently a pretty famous famous Romanian novel that I was not familiar with before I saw this movie. Um, but it's about um, like a writer who um, had this like debilitating illness, which you know basically like froze his body largely, and he's living in the sanitarium. Um, but it's like you know a a movie full of men with like what I guess you might say have like broken bodies in some way um but it's so full of life and it's like very like you know it's a a lot of people finding like joy and community within these like physically painful circumstances which I think was really nice Mm. um and it's beautifully shot um and then the other is uh the 1945 movie The Enchanted Cottage um which I, I first learned about because on Turner Classic Movies, Whoopi Goldberg picked it as one of her favorite movies. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing the shirt yeah. today. <laughs> Michael constantly yes. wears the Whoopi Goldberg shirt on the recordings. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's like a, a like a golden age Hollywood movie um, with uh, Dorothy McGuire and Robert Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about uh, you know a plain woman. Uh, and, I love a movie about a plain woman, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and she uh you know and she meets this handsome man who goes off to world war ii and he returns to this base all scarred up um you know and he's bitter about it at first and she she's shy and self-loathing but they meet in this this cottage and suddenly they're beautiful whenever they're in the cottage together oh. like they, they think that it's like magic and then they find out that like it's just that they love each other. It's not that like their faces changed. It's just that because they love each other so much that like, that's how they envision each other. So yeah, the idea of like the mutability of like bodies and how we perceive them, I think is something interesting in that movie. Oh my God. That's it's very sweet. Whoopi's got good taste. (laughs) That is, Oh God, I got to check her list. I got (laughs) to, um, is it okay if I throw two more on there? Please. Yeah, please. All right. Um, so I'm thinking about the lure. Um, oh, yeah, I love the lure. The lure is very fun. Um, for those of y'all that don't know, it's a pair. It's about a pair of mermaids uh, that uh, join a cabaret, and one of the mermaids is like, "Oh my god, I love this guy," and the other mermaid is like, "Oh my god, I'm so hungry for these people. I love these human beings. I love eating them." Um, so there's that one. I just, I fucking love cannibalism in movies. Um, I, I love seeing human beings eat other human beings um, in movies. Um, and then the other one is uh, The Ghost and Mrs. Mirror, um, which yeah. uh, I love a movie about a human living person uh, <laughs> who is in love with a ghost that cannot touch them. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I love that movie. It's so sad, but yeah. sweet. Um. Mm. Yeah, oh, we got to uh, Yeah. Yeah, good choices all films. around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great choices, everyone. Um, God. Michael, this was a great idea to to lift our spirits at the end after some serious discussion. Like <laughs> honestly, I I don't even think my spirit was so much like they, it wasn't dragged down. It was just like no. it was like very intense. Yes. Uh, 
very intense thing. Like, I was like, we watched three of these motherfucking movies <laughs> in yeah. one week. Normally, <laughs> you know, you know, it's but fun. it was, yeah. it was, it was fucking nice. Um, mm-hmm. It's like running a marathon, you know? Yeah. And after yeah. you're on a marathon, you go, you know, get some French fries, you know, <laughs> have a milkshake. But yeah. I think That's exactly it's also, what I want to do. Yeah, I think it's also important to like frame the films with that kind of like mm-hmm. dialogue about like they can be inherently hopeful. You know, yeah. there's ideas in them that feel really heavy, but this is a very approachable way to kind of talk about yes. maybe even our own existential fears about the future, about where we're at currently. There's something really comforting about watching other characters go through very surreal, techno-surrealist versions of that and coming yes. out the other end either resolved with where they're at or not at all or at least coping with it in a way that like kind of helps us make sense of our own realities so i think and i contend that these three films are a great gateway to cronenberg and hopefully uh this discourse has helped someone maybe approach them in a way that they wouldn't have previously well i will say it's definitely definitely helped me um i am excited to watch more david cronenberg movies for sure mm-hmm. um i'm looking forward to approaching the fly and not feeling like i'm going to throw up my double cheeseburger um it's sexy it's so, so sexy. I, really i'm is. excited for a sexy movie where a guy turns into a fly yeah um, you're gonna love it uh, <laughs> well on that note Lindsay, this was so fun. We were so happy to have you back. It oh really has been great. <laughs> Lindsay. Oh, thank you for having me. And I'm I'm so grateful you guys took the time to watch the films and like this hilarious idea oh, that yeah. we had about doing three in one. Thank you for asking me to come back and do this insane episode with you both. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, we're going to have to. Uh, we're, there's so many things that we <laughs> yeah, got to talk about. We're doing this again. Come on. <laughs> we got to talk about the Jew Law stuff. Uh, okay, yeah. We got to talk about Cronenberg again. Uh, yes. If there's another trilogy that you could mm. recommend, uh, mm. I want to know. You know, yeah. what are the other trilogies in his canon? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what they may you be? You could make an argument for the Vigo Mortensen era. Well, now he has I four agree. films with him. So you could say it's like a, a foursome. But, or you yeah. could do the official three that he did, like one after mm. the other. Yeah. He <sighs> promises history of violence and dangerous method. Holy moly. Damn. We, we got so going. much more to cover. The <laughs> of riches. Truly. Yeah. So yeah. many riches. And there are even more riches on your TikTok oh. uh, and in your work that you're doing with uh, Faye Pictures. So can you mm-hmm. tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and also what you've got coming up that they should look out for? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So you can find me online at at Lindsay's online, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-S online. Uh, on TikTok, I talk about movies and I also currently am talking about um critical thinking. (laughs) Uh, And then with Faye Pictures, we have a series coming out next month on Amazon and Super Channel called Streams Flow from a River. It's premiering April 1st. Please check it out wherever you can. And as of this weekend, and it's March 11th when we're recording, uh, my feature film, I Like Movies, is playing in theaters across Canada. We currently don't have a U.S. release date, but once we do, I'd be happy to share it. The film is about a kid in 2003 who works at a video store with dreams of becoming a filmmaker, but he has to learn not to be an insufferable asshole first. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, my fucking God. Sounds incredible. It was homeschooled, and I watched nothing but... IFC films. Yeah. This movie sounds like it's for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think uh, we can both relate to this. Shelly. <laughs> oh, my God. Look, when there's a U.S. release, it's our responsibility to make Open everyone weekend. we know see this 
Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's so fabulous. I miss so the video store so era so much. We built oh. our set from stuff that we found in an old blockbuster that existed three hours away from Toronto. We basically brought a truck over, emptied out the store, and built our set uh, on the other side of the city. Okay. Amazing. The next time we all right, Lindsay, this is something else we gotta talk about, but like sure. I we we all gotta remember the video store era in mm -hmm. a future episode. Um, okay. Like oh. it was such a special time, and I feel like as millennials on the hinge yeah. uh, between the world of uh, physical things, going to the movie store, the the video store, and uh, the current world that we live in now, where everything is on demand, streaming, like t you can watch TV whenever you want. You know, there's no <laughs> schedule. Um, I think it's important to remember the old world, the old thing, the old yes. things that we used to have. Analog, um, baby. Analog. Yes. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> uh, well, we cannot wait to have you back to talk about this more. We, we can't cannot. wait to see your film. <laughs> um, Michael, where can people follow us? Uh, Y'all can follow us on all social medias at Everyone is Hot Pod. That's every number one is hot pod and if you're listening to us on apple podcasts or wherever you can rank us uh please give us five stars okay nothing less than that nothing less nothing Only less five. or else <laughs> you know I'm, I'm gonna find you and you're gonna you know explode into a bunch of a little a little 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 gross little uh pustules <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We hope you're you have like a scanner's head go off if you're you gonna don't go, give go scan. You're gonna so. go bang. You're gonna go boom. You're gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those who are good enough to give us five stars, what do we want them to do? Oh, please, uh, stay horny. Horny. no <laughs> sex. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.